Welcome to Disputes Digest. Today is October 25th, 2021. I'm Chris Campbell. Don't forget to follow Tales of the Tribunal on LinkedIn to stay up to date with news from around the international dispute resolution field. If you haven't already, take a moment to share the show with a friend or a colleague. And if you have any feedback for the show, drop us a line at talesofthetribunal at gmail.com. And you already know the drill. Don't forget to leave us a review. It helps other people find the show. And what do you think of these Monday shows? We've been playing around with uh, changing up the days by which we offer the episodes. We've gone from Thursdays to Fridays, now to Mondays. What do you think? We're trying to see, when do you want to see your content? Are you too busy on a Monday, too busy on a Friday? We want to see how to best engage with you. So let's get into it for this week. This week, we begin with the news, and let's kick off the conversation with two investor state dispute resolution related stories. First, let's talk free trade agreements. As back on October 20th, the governments of the United Kingdom and New Zealand reached an agreement in principle on the key elements of a new, quote, high quality, comprehensive and progressive free trade agreement, end quote. The parties had been negotiating since June of 2020 and took some five negotiation rounds to reach a consensus. A major point of interest in the talks was the inclusion or exclusion of ISDS provisions, investor state dispute settlement. In particular, New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern has previously described the ISDS process as, quote, conferring greater rights on multinational companies investing in New Zealand than a New Zealand company has, end quote, which has led to New Zealand taking an anti-ISDS posture in many of its trade negotiations. New Zealand's commitment to this principle resulted in an absence of any ISDS provisions in the agreement, and instead the two countries agreeing to, in principle, an effective and timely dispute settlement processes to promptly progress to an arbitration in the unlikely event that it is required. Without any greater specification or comment on this topic other than a reference and deference to the dispute resolution mechanisms in the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is a somewhat ambiguous position, given that the UK and New Zealand have also agreed that the ISDS provisions of the TPP will not apply if the UK should sign on to that treaty. Observers should also note that this commitment against ISDS by New Zealand is in line with the multilateral approach and position shared by several other states, including Australia, Brunei, Malaysia, Peru, and Vietnam. This agreement makes New Zealand just the second country to sign a free trade agreement with the UK since Brexit. Finally, this agreement in principle does not create any legally binding obligations, but sets the stage for a more formalized agreement to be in place over the next year. From there, we head to Ecuador, which is attempting to stave off the enforcement of a 2019 ICSID award, which has issued a decision that would have the South American nation pay some $400 million to Perenco Ecuador Limited. All of this is an unwelcome reception and return for Ecuador, which just earlier this year signed an agreement to return to ISDS procedures under ICSID following its departure from the regime 10 years earlier. Ecuador's return was part of the greater strategy to increase investment for foreign investors, such investors potentially being persuaded by an investor state mechanism that would provide arguably predictable and more transparent means of resolving any dispute that might arise in the course of making and recovering their investment. Nevertheless, Perenco has filed an action to enforce the award in U.S. federal courts, which had stayed enforcement until claimant had an opportunity to respond to Ecuador's assertion that the claimant 
owed taxes to Ecuador, and therefore Ecuador should be allowed to set off that amount from any monies owed before making payment. The claimant argued that these positions were not timely and that under U.S. federal law at 28 U.S.C. section 1650 at Part A prohibited the set-off against ICSID award. Further, Parenco pointed out that the revenue rule, which is a long-standing common law principle, prevents courts of one sovereign country from enforcing and adjudicating tax claims from another sovereign, namely Parenco's tax debts in this case. In the end, the U.S. courts will follow the decision of an ad hoc ICSID committee commissioned to review this matter in which ruled that Ecuador was entitled to set off additional amounts paid that was ordered by the tribunal, ultimately reducing Parenco's claim to about $378 million. What if anything happens next will be watched carefully as this matter has a number of twists and turns that could impact the ISPS. From there, let's hop over to the Middle East, where a subsidiary of Dubai-based Dubai Union initiated a $95 billion claim against an unknown party. The case was first mentioned in May 2020, although the identity of the subsidiary has not been disclosed. Khalifa Hassan Al-Hamadi, Union Properties Chairman, confirmed that the company had put together a team of experts across a number of jurisdictions and regions to work on the matter and that it would be a huge win. Were they to be successful, it would be a major victory. This is a developing story with more news to follow in the coming weeks and months as the tribunal makes its decision on a number of issues and is expected to rule by the second quarter of next year. Then one more piece of news as we look to the UK Supreme Court, which on October 20 delivered its judgment in FS Cairo, Nile Plaza, LLC versus Brunel. The dispute arose back in 2010 when Lady Brunel and her husband, Sir Ian Brunel, were on holiday in Egypt. The couple stayed at the Four Seasons Cairo and participated in a local tour by car. Unfortunately, there was a car crash during the tour, killing Sir Ian and seriously injuring Lady Brunel. Lady Brunel filed a claim in English court seeking damages in contract and tort. Ultimately, the court was tasked with finding several issues before it. The first issue was whether the Court of Appeals had identified the proper tort gateway. Second, whether the claimant had discharged the burden of establishing each of her claims in a claim in which Egyptian law applies has a reasonable chance of success. And further, were there any implications in applying English versus Egyptian law? With a much longer explanation in tow, the court ruled that in the early stages of litigation, it was not necessary to plead in detail the applicable law of the country where the accident occurred. Further, that there was a presumption that the legal principles at issue would be similar to those of the foreign legal system to that of the English law. That presumption was that the absence of evidence to the contrary, foreign law would be presumed to be the same as English law. In a post-Brexit review of the courts, this decision is an important one highlighting the fact that the UK is not a party to the Lugano Convention, which can have major ramifications. In particular, it means that claimants may be more able to meet the tort gateway test threshold despite the existence of certain preliminary issues as to the jurisdiction, jurisprudence, and scope. We'll include a link to a longer article discussing this matter in the show notes. First, let's look at Texas A&M University School of Law. Even though Texas A&M beat up on my game this past week, they have a new program that's exciting and maybe a lot of interest to those of you listening. It's called the ACES Program, Accountability, Climate, Equity, and Scholarship Fellows. The ACES Program is a two-year fellowship designed to help early career legal scholars to get training and mentoring necessary to become successful members of the Legal Academy. Applications are due February 1, 2022, and will include a full posting in the show notes. Then we should mention that there are several council positions 
vacant at the London Court of International Arbitration, all of which are with the casework team. Candidates should have three or more years of experience in international arbitration, and applications are due soon. Check out the show notes for a link to the postings. Finally, if maritime arbitration is more your speed, the Chartered Institute of Arbitrators is offering a virtual diploma in international maritime arbitration from 17 November to 23rd February. It is a great opportunity. It is a great opportunity to learn about maritime arbitration and to get a valuable credential. And the curriculum is broken up into several parts, which you'll cover over those several months. Registration and applications are available on the CIR website. Finally, let's wrap up the week by talking about some events. First up, the ICC hosts its Croatia online conference on social responsibility and marketing, which consists of a couple of panels. The first one will address influence marketing, a rising form of advertising, changing the landscape of product and service marketing around the world, which raises a number of regulatory initiatives. The first panel will address influence marketing, a rising form of advertising changing the landscape for product and services marketing around the world, which is raising a number of regulatory. The second panel will explore some of the new emerging environmental claims in the marketplace as the past few years have seen a renewed interest in environmental marketing. This event is aimed at industry leaders and all variety of marketing communication and advertising experts, as well as regulators. We'll include a link in the show notes. Then there is International Law Week 2021 from October 28th to October 30th. There are a number of panels spanning a variety of topics. Examples include traveling judges on international commercial courts, when domestic courts evaluate foreign legal systems, the case for China, debating a WTO TRIPS waiver for COVID, and the geopolitical and economic competition. There will be an assortment of high-level speakers from across the globe, and registration is open now. You might want to take some time and make sure you don't miss out. Then, one more event this week as Germany's Very Young Arbitration Practitioners Group hosts an event titled hosts an event titled How to Succeed as a Junior Arbitration Lawyer. This event also happens to be the virtual launch for the Germany VF and is with support of the ICCYAF and is under the umbrella of the Global VF Network and aims to offer a unique space to learn, share, develop, and network in the globe's vast international arbitration scene. We'll include a link in the show notes. All right, now, while that's it for this week, and before we get out of here, I do want to take a chance to put something out there to you listeners. I don't know about you, but while I absolutely share the excitement of conditions under COVID improving in parts of the globe, I also sincerely hope that we aren't missing or leaving behind some of the lessons that we learned along the way. How to be more inclusive, using technology to enhance or expand our ability to build and establish global footprints, and to foster global community. We are slowly seeing the return of in-person events, which while they are a good thing, and admittedly I know a lot of people are tired of Zoom events, I would also encourage organizers to make sure they aren't forgetting to include digital options. You never know who might turn up if they have the opportunity. In any case, that's it for Disputes Digest. Don't forget to follow Tales of the Tribunal on LinkedIn and drop us a line at talesofthetribunal at gmail.com if you have comments or feedback. Until next week, this has been Disputes Digest by Tales of the Tribunal. None of the views shared today or in any episode of Disputes Digest is presented as legal advice nor advice of any kind. No compensation was provided to any organization or party for their inclusion on the show, nor do any of the statements made represent any particular organization, legal position, or viewpoint. 
All interviewees or organizations included appear on an arm's length basis and their appearance should not be construed as any bias or preferred affiliation with the host or host's employer. All rights reserved.